So good morning, friends. Uh, once again, my name is Clint. Thank you guys for being here. And if you're joining us online, just thank you for prioritizing, like coming together and being here to invest in your relationship with Jesus. Um, it was so good, guys. Usually, part of my job is I work with the youth, and I also pastor our east side campus. So usually I'm down the back hall. But today, I was out front. And seeing so many of you come in, who I don't know is just so great. Like, I love how our community is always changing. You know, people come in, people get sent out. Uh, but for those of you who don't know me, my... Oh, hello. Am I, I'm popping here. Let me... You see, I'm not good at the technology. I just think about it, and things, things happen. Um... A little bit about me. I'm 33 years old. I've been married to my wonderful wife, Erin. We're coming up on nine years married. Um, I have two daughters that ambushed me right after a communion announcement. Scared me a little bit. Clara is three and a half, and Lucy is about a year and a half years old. I love them so much. How about there? Uh, I also like NASCAR, and this year I've started bird watching. I have found 22 unique species of birds. I don't know if that's good, but that's what I got. So anyway, uh, today we're going to be continuing on in our... You want me to switch to hand him? Perfect. Hi, Rachel. I'm just going to go like this. Thank you. How's that? We better... Wonderful. You see, I actually like this a little bit better because I never know what to do with my hands. You know, I'm like uh, Talladega Knights. I just, they just keep coming up. So now I got the one that I don't even have to worry about. Uh, so today, we're going to be continuing on with our series of messages in Mark. And I got to say, guys, I love the book of Mark. Uh, when people come to me and they say, Clint, like, where should I start reading the Bible? I always point them towards Mark. It's my favorite one of the Gospels. So we've been in this series, in the book of Mark, and throughout the series, we've seen a couple different themes just kind of continue to emerge. First, we see at the very beginning of the book, it says that this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, about the Son of God. This book is really good news. Then there was this, uh, there was this belief that kind of ran through the ancient Jewish world that the chosen king, the Messiah. He was going to come and he would set up this kingdom, this kingdom that never ends, and there would be peace throughout the land. And uh, we see this kind of scattered throughout the Old Testament, but as a backdrop for what we're going to talk about today, I just wanted to look at Daniel 7. This is in verses 13 and 14. It says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one, like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now that, my friends, is good news. The king reigning over everything with glory and power, all the nations worshiping him. And there's this sense, there's this sense that the whole world has been made right. That there is this, the, the Hebrew word is shalom, this deep peace. And this peace, it's not just the absence of war and conflict, although that's part of it. This peace permeates and encapsulates every aspect of our life. That's a beautiful future. 
And this is the future that the ancient Jewish people were hoping for. And really, if we're being honest, this is the hope for most of us in the world, whether we're followers of Jesus or not. We dream of a world that's perfect, a world free from death and suffering, a world where people truly love each other. And most of us, we're willing to sacrifice to get there. But what we see in Mark, and this is another one of the themes that uh, that's, keeps being repeated, is that even though we know where we want to go, we know we want to get to this perfect kingdom, the way we get there is incredibly different than the way that we thought it would be. It's incredibly different. So today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 32. We're going to go to verse 45. And we're going to look at this beautiful coming kingdom, and we're going to learn how we actually get there. And it's vastly different than the way that we think. But uh, as you guys open that, there are Bibles in the chair backs in front of you. It's Mark 10, 32. Let's just, let's just pray together, friends. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome your presence even more right now. And Father, I pray that you would help us be able to put our whole hope, faith, and trust that that perfect future is coming. God, for some of us here today, it feels like it's so far off. We're feeling tired, we're feeling drained, we're feeling hopeless. And some of us, some of us have really good ideas how to get there, but they're way different than your ideas. So Lord, today would you help us to hear your voice? Would you fill us with hope? And Lord, would you show us how we can partner with you to bring about that good and beautiful future? In your holy name, amen. All right, friends, Mark 10, starting in verse 32, it says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slaves of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So right away, 
we see Jesus and, uh, and his group. They're on the way to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem in the ancient Jewish world was like the center of religious life. All the major feasts, all the major holidays were held in Jerusalem. In fact, we're coming up uh, in, this, in this verse on the Passover celebration. So Jewish people were pouring in to celebrate the Passover. This is where the temple was. This is where the chief priests were. Jerusalem, it was the spot to be. It was the spot to be. Also, Jerusalem, it's where the king ruled. It was uh, called the city of David. It was David's city. It's where they believe that Daniel 7 king, who brings peace and shalom, he would come to Jerusalem and then from Jerusalem rule over all the nations. So if something big was going to happen, it was going to happen in Jerusalem. And here we see that Jesus is heading for Jerusalem. And if you look, there's two words there that uh, point out how the disciples feel. It says that they are astonished and those that follow him are afraid. No, there's just something different about this trip. They've been to Jerusalem before, but maybe it's the way Jesus is walking there. Maybe they could just feel like the energy crackling in the air. I don't know. But there's something about it that this trip is different. And the disciples, the people that, they're fo- that are following him, they know. They're, at one part, they're, they're astonished. Maybe they're thinking, this is the moment. Jesus, he's marching towards Jerusalem. We're going to get that Daniel 7 future, a future where everything has been made right. He's going to overthrow uh, all, the, all the powers, and he's going to take his throne and rule. They're astonished that they're, like, being invited into this future. So where does the fear come from? Because that future that they're being invited into, it's beautiful. So why are they afraid? Well, Jerusalem, it was the center of Jewish life, but also, it was under Roman occupation. And Rome, they were like the most militarized, most powerful nation anywhere at that time. They, you know, they had more swords, they had more spears, they had more soldiers than anybody. And also, like the chief priests, they were kind of out to get Jesus. They didn't like him. They didn't like his teachings. So by going to Jerusalem, they're walking into a minefield. One more fun fact, Pontius Pilate, uh, he was the Roman governor at the time uh, of, uh, of the area. He was a cruel tyrant who was known for, like, oppressing people and quelling, like, protests with violence. Like, he had this reputation of being cruel. And at this time, he would have been in or near Jerusalem, going there to oversee the Passover feast. So you've got the chief priests, you've got the Romans, you've got Pontius Pilate. They're all gunning for Jesus, and they're all on high alert because it's Passover. And Jesus is walking into that minefield. He's walking into the lion's den, and the lions are holding all the cards. They have all the swords. They have to be thinking, the people following Jesus, they got to be thinking, man, there's no way we can win this one. There's no way. We can't possibly drive out Rome Look, Jesus, he's got these 12 guys. Most of them are fishermen. They're not soldiers. There's no way we can win this. Have you ever been there? Have you ever seen that good, amazing future that you want to get to? And then you look at what you're bringing to the table, and you think there's no way. There's no way. Maybe you dream of a world that's free of discrimination. You know, a world where we recognize that everybody is created in the image of God, that everybody has value and worth. Maybe you're dreaming about this future, and so every time you hear somebody say a racist comment, 
Every time you hear somebody make that sexist joke. Every time you hear somebody talk about uh, people who think that way. You say something. You stand up. And you've been, you've been fighting this fight, trying to move towards that good and beautiful future for so long, and you're just tired. You're just tired. I was uh, talking to a friend of mine that was a social worker the other day. She goes, man, it's just, I'm exhausted. I see the worst day in and day out, and I'm exhausted. You are right there, and you're looking, you're trying to move the needle towards that beautiful future, and you don't have the swords. You're wore out. Or maybe, maybe you have a, a dream of what your neighborhood could look like. Like you're living in a neighborhood and you love it. And you think, man, there's something here. Like we could be a people that really love and care for each other. We could do the barbecues. We could take care of each other. When people are hurting and down, we can pray for each other. We can study the Bible. We can be like the kingdom of God in Chester Creek. We can be the kingdom of God in Lakeside or Hunter's Park. And you think about it and then you start thinking, but your actual neighbors, you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I can get, get my neighbors together. That guy's got this side in his yard. That girl's got that side in their yard. They don't talk to each other. That guy mows his lawn religiously. This person has let it go for the bees. They hate each other. Like, I am never going to be able to get these people together. I don't have what it takes. You don't have enough swords. So what does that look like for you? Maybe you are looking at bigger issues. You see, every time you see one of our friends that's experiencing homelessness in the Twin Ports, your heart just breaks. You see the numbers come out about homelessness and about how uh, our homeless friends are pushed to the side, are marginalized, are considered less than. And you think, man, I should do something. But then you're like me and you barely know how to swing a hammer. You look at your bank account and you don't have the resources. You don't have the connections to make anything happen. You're like, there's nothing I can do. There's no way I can solve this problem. Every single human dreams for that Daniel 7 future. A kingdom without injustice or racism or sexism, without violence or sickness. The, the kingdom of complete peace and shalom. We all long for it, and we all actually feel pretty powerless about how we need to get there. And it's not just the big issues either. We also have to look at the issues inside of us. Uh, maybe, maybe you grew up with, a, with an angry parent, and you told yourself, I will never be like them. I will never treat my kids the way they treat me. But your kids, you know, they're just always there. I love my kids. They are so constant. And kids, they just know how to get on your last nerve. And you hear yourself, like you, you, you get angry, and every cell in your body starts to vibrate. And you say the same things that your mom said to you. You say the same things that your dad spoke over you. And that scares you. Because you don't want to be that person. But you don't know how. You don't know how to change. What's that, what's that ugly part of you? We all have it. I know what mine is. You probably know what yours is. Picture with me for just a minute a future where that ugly part of us didn't control us, where it was just gone. 
picture a future where you could be the person that God created you to be. A future where you could show up as your true and authentic self, not afraid of what other people think, not afraid to take risks and go for it. And from that place, like you're able to love God and love people, period. That is a beautiful picture. That's what Jesus is inviting each and every one of us into. And that is astonishing. And it's scary to think that we don't have what it takes to get there. We look at the issues in ourself and in our world and what Jesus tells us to do, and we're astonished at how beautiful the future could be, and we're afraid that we're never going to get there, that we don't have the resources, that we don't have what it takes. Here's the kicker. We know where we want to go, but the way to get there, it looks totally different. It looks totally different than if we were to pick it for ourselves. It's upside down. And the disciples... They were very much looking forward to this Daniel 7 future. This is what like, the whole Jewish nation had been thinking about. It's what they'd been dreaming about. A king seated on the throne in Jerusalem, ruling a political kingdom that encompasses the whole earth. And what does Jesus do here? He pulls them aside. And he says this. He says, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. That doesn't sound like a king ruling over the world. That is not the way that it's supposed to be. Now, what's wonderful here is Jesus and the disciples, they're pointed in the same direction. They're both moving towards that Daniel 7 future, but they have two totally different ideas of how to get there. And what's, uh, what's fun about the humans is we love our own plans, don't we? We think we know where we want to go, and when things don't go that way, we're really good about coming up with ideas to get things back on track, to get to where we need to go. Humans are really good at that. Uh, so we'll look at the disciples. Look at uh, uh, James and John here. They come to Jesus, and they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Isn't that fun? Hey, God, I got some ideas. I just need you to say yes. Parents in the room, does this sound familiar? Kids come to you, Mom, Dad, I'm going to ask you a question. I just need you to say yes. Don't even think about it. Just say yes. My, uh, my uh, oldest daughter, Clara, uh, she's starting to get to this point. She, uh, her, her words uh, aren't, aren't great, but she's picking up these little phrases. She says, uh, good idea, a lot. And she, uh, she still talks in incomplete sentences, so it's adorable. Like, my wife, she's a speech therapist, so she's like, oh, man, maybe we shouldn't, like, laugh at her incomplete sentences. Like, let's let her learn how to talk really good. But anyway, Clara will come to me, and she'll say things like, um, Daddy, Clara, get in Daddy's car. Go shopping. Buy Clara a mermaid tail. Good idea? And then she'll nod. <laughs> a mermaid tail. And uh, she's not asking at that point. She's not saying, hey, Dad, you know, I think that we could go do this thing. It'd be really great. But if you want, she's saying, Dad, this is a good idea. We're doing this. This is a good idea, and you need to get on board. So get your keys, get in the car. We're going, where do you buy a mermaid tail? If you know, let me know, because she's been asking for one. Um, 
<laughs> Amazon, there you go. <laughs> no car needed. But I got to thinking, man, like how many of our prayers are good ideas? God, I know it needs to happen, so do it. It's a good idea. God, I'm running late. Just make this traffic light turn green. It's a good idea. God, my friend, he's dying. He's a good man. He's too young. Heal him. It's a good idea. Uvalde, Rob Elementary School, I found myself crying out. God, just stop this. Kids getting killed? Stop this. It's a good idea, man. Oh, Jesus, I need you to come back right now. The world is broken. I keep trying to fix it, but I can't. Come back. It's a good idea. I know where we need to go. And I just need him to listen so that we can get there. It's a good idea. And um, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to die to our good ideas? Are we willing to let God be God, to trust that he knows not only where we need to go, but that he knows how to get there better than we do? Are we willing to submit and surrender the way we think things should go or look, the way that we think problems should be solved in order to say yes to the king who comes clothed in the clouds? So I love how Jesus responds here because like a good parent, he doesn't just give a blank check, right? He says, why don't you ask me what you're going to do first? And uh, <laughs> what they ask for, what James and John ask for here, it's not actually that bad. They say, let, uh, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left hand in glory. Now, this could seem a little bit selfish. Um, they are kind of saying, like, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, would you let us be your number one and your number two? Like, um, those are positions of power on either side of the king. So there's probably that little bit of uh, selfishness there. But the thing that I want to point out is, like, look at the faith in these two men. Like, they have no doubt that Jesus is going to be the king. They're saying, I don't know how you're going to do it. But when you're king, let me be at your left hand and your right hand. Like, I want in on that. I want in on that good possible future. Isn't that great? But uh, they're, they're putting their faith in Jesus, even though their idea of how they're going to get there is all wrong. So we have to pause and just take stock today. In this moment right now, how's your hope for that future? Are you certain that we're going to get there? Are you like James and John? Maybe you don't understand how, but you know we're moving in the right direction. You trust God fully and completely. Do you believe it's possible? Or have you started to doubt? You know, maybe you're walking through a personal tragedy. Maybe you've lost someone close to you, your, your job, or just like the amount of stress and anxiety in your life is beginning to tip you over. You turn on the news, and there's just so much. So much sadness, so much violence, so much anger and hate and division. And all you can see is the darkness. And you've lost that hope. If that's you today, maybe this is the reason why you're here. Whether you're, you're sitting here or whether 
you're watching me online. And if you're online and you have a second tab open, I'm just going to need you to go ahead and close that tab right now. Uh, at the end of, of our time, we, we're doing this thing called ministry time. And this is a chance to do exactly what James and John are doing here. They draw close to the king, and they make a request for something that only the king can give. So today, if you've lost hope, we just want to pray for you. We want to pray that God would fill you with peace and love, that he would gift you with a vision of that perfect future that we're moving towards. And I just love uh, this verse. I say a lot about scripture. I just love this verse. But honestly, it's all good. Uh, Revelation 21, it paints a picture. It's kind of like an expansion of Daniel 7, of what this future looks like. And it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Every tear dried. Maybe God wants to give you hope for that future today. Now, many of us want, uh, want to get to that future. James and John, they want to get to that future. But just like them, we have to learn to get there a different way. The path to shalom, it looks different than we think it will. And um, these guys, it's so funny. They're actually so clueless. Uh, I love uh, Jesus' response. He says, you do not know what you're asking for. I just love that. Jesus, he's on the way to suffer and die. He knows that. He knows that coming into his glory, accomplishing his, his mission, uh, happens not as him coming as the conquering king, but him coming as the humble, suffering servant. He knows that he's on his way to be crucified, uh, and he looks at these two young men that he loves standing in front of him, that in their, their naivety, they're basically asking to be crucified with him. And he looks at him and says, guys, you don't get it. You don't know what you're asking for. And then he says, can you, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Can you, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And this is some really cool Old Testament imagery. The, when, when they're talking about the cup, uh, oftentimes we see the cup as an illustration for God's wrath being poured out on like sinful nations, people drinking the cup of God's wrath. This is like being immersed in like the penalty for all the bad things that have happened in the world. And uh, the word here for baptism is baptizo. It means immersed, completely ducked, uh, like dunked under. And back then, baptism was really linked with like ceremonial washing, like washing of hands and things like that, to purify people, uh, purify people from unrighteousness. So a good illustration of this is uh, Noah and the flood. Uh, the flood comes and wipes out sinful humanity so that the righteous can flourish. So what Jesus is asking, he goes, guys, can you take the weight of the world? Can you deal with all of God's wrath? Can you be fully immersed in suffering? Can you be completely wiped out so that good can flourish? Can you do that? And what's funny, can you just picture, like, James and John standing there? They kind of look at each other. They look back at Jesus. They give a one-word answer. 
Sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hear me? Yeah, why not? Sounds good. Isn't that funny? And what I love, Jesus looks at him, and he goes, you're right, you will. James and John, they were, uh, they were called the sons of Zebedee. And a lot of biblical scholars think this is because they were really intense. They had, like, forceful characters and personalities. And uh, Jesus looks at these two young men and says, you will. You will. But not today. It's not your time. And if you, if you know anything about James and John, they went on to, to do that. Uh, James was, was executed for preaching about Jesus. And John, he lived a full life, full of trial and suffering, uh, talking about Jesus, helping other people grow and flourish and live the life that God promised them. Uh, but he was exiled. He spent the, the end of his days in like this tiny little speck of an island called, I think it's called Patmos. Uh, these two suffered for the kingdom, but they weren't ready yet. And I love this, this quote by Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard, uh, he was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California. And he writes this. He says, The intention of God is that we should become the kind of person whom he can set free in his universe, empowered to do what we want to do. Just as we desire and intend this so far as possible for our children and others we love, God desires and intends it for his children. But character, the inner directedness of the self, must develop to the point where that is possible. God's intention is that you and I, like we'll get to the point where we have enough character to be able to go and do whatever we want to do because we'll be living for him. That's his goal. That's his desire. But how do we get there? Because like James and John, most of us aren't ready. We lack the character. And Jesus, he models it right here. He leads the way. Look at verse 40. Uh, you'll drink my cup, be baptized, verse 40. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. Right there, even in their request, Jesus submits to his Father's will. That's how we develop our character. Submission, surrender. We die to ourselves. Jesus heads to Jerusalem to die for his people. He submits to the Father's will. And this, this death to self, this laying down your life in service of others and for God's will, this is one of the cornerstones of Christianity. We die to ourselves. We die to our good ideas. We die to the way things, the, the, the way that we think things should be. And it's through death that we experience real life. It's through death that we build others up and allow them to live. And Jesus unpacks this a little bit more. Look at uh, uh, verse 41. Because we, we see the disciples, they get mad. They get mad at James and John. Now, maybe they thought that um, James and John were trying to edge him out and do a power grab. You know, oh, you want to be the number one and two, but look at, look at all the things we've done. Somehow they get mad. And uh, the word that in our translation is indignant, that is the same word in the original language that, uh, that it uses to describe Jesus' anger uh, a couple chapters ago when the disciples stopped the little kids from coming to him. So I think it's safe to say that the disciples thought their anger was justified. How dare they? How dare they do this? They thought they were experiencing this righteous anger. But Jesus, he thinks different. He pulls them aside to correct them. So let's pause right there for a minute. I got to ask, where in your life are you experiencing like an intense emotion? 
whether it's anger or joy or fear or sadness, hunger. I hear hunger is an emotion. Where are you feeling this intense emotion that you feel totally justified in? What does Jesus think about that? Did he say, yeah, go ahead, be angry? How does he want to use your emotion to help you die to yourself? How does he want to mold you, shape your character through that emotion? And if I, like, let me just get real pastory here for a minute. Uh, Notice how Jesus pulls the disciples to the side in that verse. He takes them away from everybody else, and then he talks to them. He offers uh, this, what we'll read about this, this correction. And it's oftentimes in our quiet, alone, like one-on-one time with God that he speaks these things to us. He speaks encouragement and correction. So you got to ask yourself, like, are you creating space in your life to be quiet before God, to be present, to draw near to him and let him speak these things to you? And we got to take the time to listen. Honestly, guys, reading your, reading your Bible setting aside quiet time and listening for God's voice, those are two of the things that will help us become the type of people that God then can release to go change the world. Uh, all right. So, where am I here? Here we go. So Jesus brings them together. And he explains the kingdom of God to them. And keep in mind, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, and when we talk about it here at the vineyard, we're talking about God's perfect rule and reign. This is that Daniel 7 future, God's perfect rule and reign spreading across the whole earth. And Jesus says that, um, that the Gentiles, that would be like the Romans and other, other kingdoms, he says that the Gentiles, they flex their authority. Their rulers rule over them, the people. That other rulers, members of other kingdoms, make a big deal out of power and authority. Other people power up and they force their wills on others. And then look at verse 43, because this tiny little sentence flips everything around. Jesus says, not so with you. Friends, once we accept Jesus as the king of our lives, we live different. We follow a different set of rules. And this isn't a suggestion, like this is a reality. If you want to be great, in the kingdom of God. If you want to be great, you don't power up and try to force people to do what you want them to do. You don't force people to think the way that you think, to vote the way you vote. Jesus didn't defeat Rome. He didn't defeat sin and death by powering up. He died. He served. And we are instructed. We are commanded to do the same. So keep reading, verse 43. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be a first must be a slave of all. Those two words, servant and slave, mean exactly what you think they mean. They are not positions of power or privilege. To be great, we die to ourselves. We trust that God is going to take care of us and we love other people the best that we can. We serve in humility because we know our value and our worth. Friends, serving doesn't make you less than. In our society, servants, uh, the the people that move in humility, uh, they're often seen as pushovers. They're seen as passive. They're seen as weak. 
they're seen as less than. So what? So what? God thinks I'm pretty great. He looks at me and he loves me. Who cares if somebody thinks that I'm weak? Who cares if somebody thinks that I give in too much? Who cares if somebody thinks that like standing by what God says is, is not worthy? Who cares? God loves me. God loves me. We have this idea in our heads of what it looks like to be great. What most of us think it looks like to be great, uh, to live the great life, we have to like have this upward trajectory where we're always uh, like gathering more power and prestige and influence. We're just going up and up and up and up and up, and that's how you get to the good life. Just go up and up and up and up. That's not what Jesus says here. If you want to be first, you got to be last. We got to get low. We got to get low and serve. We have to die. A seed goes into the ground. It dies before it can flourish. Greatness is getting low. It's serving our fellow humans. It's dying to ourselves so that others may live. Now, please don't hear me say that you just need to go and go and go and go and go until you collapse and burn out and die. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is partnering with God to serve others. So who, ask yourself, who is God put in your path that he's asking you to love and serve? If you're a parent, I'm going to make a wild guess here and say it's, maybe it's your kids. Maybe that's who you're supposed to love and serve. And like I said, I love my kids, but they're just always there. They're constant. Sometimes serving my kids means I get up off the couch and I go to the park when I don't really want to go to the park. Sometimes serving my kids means I stay up late at night cleaning up puke. Gosh, isn't that fun? I didn't know so much vomit could come out of a tiny little body. And Clara, oh man, she, like I said, she's learning the words, so she, she uses these goofy phrases. She goes, Clara's mouth feel ucky. <laughs> the cat threw up the day. She goes, Daddy, Momo's sick. <laughs> yeah, sure enough, pile of cat puke. Sometimes serving our kids means doing, doing things that we don't want to do. Sometimes it means drawing a firm boundary and saying, no, Clara Jo, you can't have chips and only chips for dinner. When really, you don't care. You don't want to do that fight. But to be a good parent, you have to. So who has God put in your path to serve? Maybe, maybe it's that elderly neighbor that you always see in the yard, but you never talk to. Maybe it's that coworker who makes passive-aggressive comments at work. Maybe it's that coworker that's really not actually good at their job, and you, you don't know why they're still here. Who's that person? Who's that person that God has put in your life that he's inviting you to serve? Dying to yourself and serving others is anything but weak. Sometimes serving others means we die to our fear of rejection. It means we die to our fear of like rebuke and rebuttal. And it means that we're assertive and we stand up and we say, hey, what you just said right now, it's not right. What you just said is hurting people, and I'm not going to stand for it anymore. That's what serving looks like. Dying to ourselves so that others can live. And Jesus, he doesn't just say this. He goes and does it. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus 
God in the flesh walked this path. His mission was to get us to that good and beautiful Daniel, Daniel 7 future where the good king rules in peace. And there's this peace that spreads out all over the land. He did it by diving. He did it by serving us, submitting to the Father's will, going to a death that people made fun of him for with a criminal on his left and one on his right. To anyone passing by, this, this looked like weakness. But we know that hanging on the cross was the greatest human that ever walked the planet. And he died with people mocking him, throwing insults at him. He died naked in front of his mom, you guys. That was laughable to folks. And he commands us to love and serve other people all the same. So how do we get to that future? How do we become great? We die to ourselves and we serve others. Friends, we are being invited into an astonishing future. We are being invited to be free, to experience peace in our inner lives, to not be controlled by anything other than Jesus. We are being invited into a future where the thing that defines us is the love of God and only the love of God. God so loved you and me that he died on a cross so that we could be forgiven. Because of that, we're moving towards that Daniel 7 future, a world where God's love is spreading across all of creation, making everything right. And the way we get there is by dying. We die to our plans. We die to our ambitions. We die to the way we think things should go. We stop looking at our fear at the fact that we don't have enough swords, and we trust God to be God. We do what he commands. We serve. We love. We worship. We get low instead of powering up. And this is the gospel. It's powerful, and it changes everything. And at the same time, it's subversive. We don't defeat Rome by fighting the way Rome fights, with sword and spears, powering up, asserting our will, but with love and service and dying. The way down's the way up. If you want to be great, if you want to get to that perfect future, if you want to experience this shalom peace in yourself and in the world, we have to die. We die to ourselves so that we can live for others. So ask yourself, how is God inviting you to die to yourself today? Where have you felt that Holy Spirit nudge? What is he asking you to do? Maybe you have some of those uh, underlying anger issues. You've got these things that just control you, and you haven't gotten help. Something is stopping you pride, fear, whatever it is, there's an obstacle. Today, you can die to that. You can serve your family and your friends by getting the professional help that will help you get free from that. Or maybe you felt the nudge to try to make a difference in some of these big issues that we're facing in the world today. You know, racism, sexism, gender discrimination, the divisions that are sweeping like our countries and our neighborhoods. But you have no idea where to start. And that fear of not being enough, of not having the answers, a fear of failing. That's keeping you from moving forward. 
Can you trust? Can you trust that if God really and truly is inviting you into something, he's going to be with you every step of the way? That his Holy Spirit is going to partner you and give you everything that you need to be successful with him. God is bigger than any of the obstacles we face. What's that thing that's stopping you from moving closer to the good and beautiful future that Jesus bought for us on the cross? Today, my friends, we can put it to death. We can submit and surrender. Those things are lives to Christ. And from that place, that place of knowing that we're loved and cared for, that we have a God that we can trust to meet our needs, and a God who's going to get us to that Daniel 7 future, from that place, we can humbly love and serve others. We can start that right today. So friends, why don't you stand up with me? We're going to take a step towards that by praying for each other in ministry time. So this is an opportunity to do what we see James and John do, to draw close to the king, to make requests, to hear his voice, to receive correction and encouragement. So if I could have the prayer ministry team start coming forward. And if you're watching this online today, uh, there's a bunch of people that are waiting to pray for you. So if God is stirring something up in you, just go ahead and click that prayer button. Don't, don't log off without getting prayer today. So folks, let me, let me begin to pray for us. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here even more. And Lord, we just admit that sometimes we get wrapped up on our own plans. So God, right now, would you help us to surrender those plans to you? And for some of us, maybe we've never made a decision to fully and completely surrender our lives to Jesus. To say, Lord, I want in on that Daniel 7 future, and I believe that you're the only way to get there. I give you my life. Would you give me your peace? So if that's you, you can do that today. If you're feeling that nudge to surrender your life to Christ, I'm just going to ask you uh, at some point during this ministry time to come forward and let one of these folks that are trained to pray up front just say, I want in on that life. And they would love to pray with you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us die to ourselves. We all know like what that, what that ugliness is in us. Lord, would you, would you point out the thing in us that you want to put to death today? Whether it's fear, or anger, pride, or insecurity. Lord, we just bring that before you right now. We bring uh, our need to be in control. And Lord, I ask that you would replace our need to be in control with trust in you. And Lord, for some of us, we are just feeling so hopeless. We're feeling burned out. We're feeling run down. 
So if that's you, I just pray right now that God would fill you up with hope. Holy Spirit, just come and minister to all those areas of our lives that are beat up. Lord, would you give us a vision of the future with everything made right? Would you help us to trust that you are a good king? Would you fill us up where we're feeling empty? And as I was uh, praying over our time last night and this morning, I got a couple of specific things that I think might be from God. The first is um, I felt like some of us have relationships with people that are like we're super close with, but those relationships have been broken. And there's an obstacle in there to the repairing those relationships. I feel like the invite today is to, to die to that obstacle, to love and serve your friend uh, and your friendship by going first. So if that's you, I just pray that the Lord would speak to you about what that could look like. The other word I got was, I think some of us are really called to be peacemakers in our neighborhoods, like bringing people together and showing like, what the kingdom of God could look like in our neighborhoods. Uh, so if that's you, I would love to have you come forward in just a second here and get some prayer uh, over the fear, the anxiety, whatever it is that is holding you back from taking that first step to being a peacemaker in your neighborhood. And then the, the last kind of specific word I got, um, my, my neck and my shoulder just felt tight, and that's one of the ways that God speaks to some people sometimes for physical healings is you get these, these feelings in your body. So if you're having a neck and shoulder pain on the, the right side of your body, we would love to pray for you and see if maybe that's something God heals today. So, Lord, would you just bless us? Would you draw us close? Would you help us to hear your voice as we continue to worship? And so these, these guys are going to lead us in a couple more songs. And just at any time, if God's stirring stuff up in you, just come on forward and get some prayer. Thank you so much for coming to the Vineyard, friends. Thank you.